This is from Justin McCain, a podcast where Mike Robertson and Bob LaRue watch one critically acclaimed film and one terrible film and talk about how they are the same. Welcome, everybody, to From Justin to Kane. Um, just for the record, I'm currently looking at uh, Mike over Zoom, and he's wearing a dark gray virtual beret on his head. That's and, right. And uh, it's very flattering. I'm using the, the built-in uh, video filters, and yeah, I think, this, I think this beret is rather stylish. I think it's a real snappy ensemble. I would describe you as handsome as hell. Oh, thank you very much, yeah. Yeah. Um, anywho, this week's episode, we're doing two real, uh, cool movies. I think this is kind of a wacko selection of films in a way. So we're doing, uh, what, I don't know, what year was Heat? 95. 1995's Heat and Directed by Michael Mann. Directed by Michael Mann and then 2010's M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. Yes. Um, which... Incidentally, it was supposed to be uh, part one of a three-part trilogy, and the movie sucked. Never happened. So, the Airbender, Last Airbender, is a bad film, and Heat is our our sort of you know quintessential crime classic. And we're going to find everything that's similar between the two. That's right. Yeah, twenty was it two thousand and nine and two thousand and ten? Two Avatar-based movies came out. Yes, both with a, the promise of future sequels, which haven't materialized yet. Yeah, actually, on that point, so apparently James Cameron's been making Avatar 2 and 3 for like 10 years in New Zealand. Why? Um, I don't know. He's a perfectionist. But you know what's interesting? So, But do people care about Avatar enough is what my why I said why. <laughs> oh, oh like, no, do people, people care love enough? Avatar. Mm, I guess, yeah. I, Isn't I, there a vehicle in our city with an Avatar decal surrounding the entire car? Yeah, you're right. There is. There's somebody who has an Avatar truck. Yes, if I remember, I'll post it on our social media. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know what? People do love Avatar. I take it back. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, objectively, I'm just going to say it. This is my hot take. It's a bad film, but mm. people love the shit out of Avatar. But so, so there's an interesting fact about The Last Airbender and Avatar. So when uh, Avatar The Last Airbender was being developed uh, at Paramount, Avatar had already been like purchased by James Cameron, so they had to change the title to just The Last Airbender. Hmm. Yeah, that's why I wondered. Yeah, they, 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 it was going to incite confusion, they thought, so they just removed the Avatar part. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Imagine not having any familiarity with the cartoon and then seeing the, the Navi-based CG 3D spectacle in the theaters, and that was your only exposure to Avatar as a franchise period mm-hmm. and uh then avatar the last airbender comes on you're like wow they made a sequel a year later can't wait to see this then you go and you are so disappointed well yes i think i wonder if the tv show confuses people the quite excellent three season animated kids tv show yeah i wonder I if that's incited confusion but I guess it doesn't matter because it's a pretty solid show so people will be like oh i guess i just discovered a cool new show but the movie uh-huh. is bad um, yes. Oh, yes. Underwhelming, or as Mike would say, silly. Silly? I said it was silly. Your 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 text. You just said this film is very silly. Mm, yes. <laughs> well, a thought that I had during this watching of Avatar: The Last Airbender, not to be confused with Avatar with Jake Sully. Yeah. Um, it, and Sigourney Weaver. And Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Yeah. And unobtainium. Um, all of the things unobtainium. <laughs> So stupid. Okay. Uh, not to be, yeah. So, yeah, one thing that I was thinking when I was watching The Last Airbender, I was like, this is, people rip on this movie, sure, but this is no stupider than a Marvel movie. Um, it's like a compressed timeline of a lot of information to fit into a short period of time with characters yes. who have magical powers. And it's like the characters just speak in exposition for the most part. Yeah. And there's just kind of menacing, boring bad guys. I don't know. But what's inter, I, I, I think, what what you're saying is true 
but the Marvel films have a better execution. Like a um, little bit better. I, I think enough better that you can sit through a Marvel movie and enjoy it. But this film wasn't fun to watch because, well, A, I think it's actually even worse if you know the TV show. Yeah, I didn't know the TV show, so I actually didn't hate it. That's probably why I have this Marvel opinion, because I right. was like, this was boring and mm-hmm. uninteresting and just a lot of CG stuff, but whatever. This, these are, this is movies nowadays, I guess. Maybe I was just coming from a really cynical place, but also it looked good. Yeah, yeah, it looked fine. But yeah. it, if you if you know the TV show and you appreciate the the animated TV show, then this movie is dreadful because it's just like it's like the worst. It's the equivalent of just somebody trying to describe a mo- like a TV show to you in fifteen sentences. Mm-hmm. Like let, like let I'll, I'll just tell you what happens in in Game of Thrones in like fifty words. Yeah. And then that is the screenplay for like Game of Thrones, the feature film. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible. Everything's just like truncated to the point in which there's like no real narrative. The emotional stakes aren't there. And therefore watching it is just kind of like terrible. Yeah. I, I um, yeah, I never saw the TV show, but you just finished watching all of it or something. I did. A couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I watched the whole thing. And it's great. It's a solid TV show. I always thought it was an anime. It is okay <laughs> i don't know i don't know what like uh constitutes an anime by definition but um i will i mean it's a nickelodeon th- show yeah it's from nickelodeon so it's an american produced tv show i think anime is defined by it being from japan right so so it's not but there it has like dna from anime like the sort of the animation style with like <clears throat> certain facial expressions and exaggerating emotion during certain scenes um stuff like that but i think it sort of feels north american yeah and i think that's probably why it took off because it is like the culmination of uh america's response to anime as Mm -hmm. a like cultural force uh and this show is like capitalizing on that and then people are like this is like an american anime and i like it well i i think the strongest asset the show has is like the uh it's bizarrely mature in its thematic exploration it's like a children's show it's disguised as a children's show but it's actually much more mature tonally and thematically and that's why it's like pretty solid to watch uh what is i it? was surprised what is it um what is it exploring maturely it explores like uh, familial strife, uh, like parental to child relationships. It deals with like destiny. It deals with morality, um, love, friendship, betrayal, and just like personal insight mm. and like yeah. how you need to grow as a person or else you're just going to be a dick. You know, just stuff like that. It's weirdly well done, I think, for a kid's show made by Nickelodeon. I thought the movie also maturely explored certain themes themes such as hey let's go to this place to go see this person and then <laughs> let's go to this place and then see this person <laughs> so apparently m night Shyamalan wrote all 22 episodes of the first season into one feature-length script and it was going to be seven hours long mm-hmm. and then obviously paramount studios was like uh we can't do this so then he had to shrink it down and that's when it just turned into a real turd I mean, yeah. <laughs> it seems uh, like a TV show compressed to the point of just being like, they just figured out all of the different places the characters need to go next, and then just putting yeah. those scenes in and not any of the actual character development. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's unadaptable. Yeah. And they adapted it anyways. Interestingly, though, so M. Night Shyamalan first found out about the show because his daughter wanted to go as one of the characters for Halloween. He's like, what? He was like, what are you talking about? And then she's like, look look at this show. And then lo and behold, he'd become the screenwriter and director of the show. Or the movie version. Well, that's an interesting fact. Um, should we contextualize the, uh, the movies? Yeah, of course. That's that's one of the three segments we have. Um, it is. The first what segment, are you talking about? The first segment is contextualized. The second one is, these are the comparisons we found. And then the third one is, mm, just kind of have fun. Just have a good time. Just like, hang look out. at me. I'm wearing a virtual beret and feeling cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, okay. Well, let's start with Heat, and then we'll come back to Avatar. Uh, Heat is a 1995 action crime thriller drama mm-hmm. based on a true story, which I was unaware of. That's that's shocking because it feels unrealistic almost. Yes. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting th- stuff about this movie. The character Neil Macaulay, which is what uh, Robert De Niro's character's name is, is was a real person, uh, and so they just called him the same name. Uh, oh wow! He was the ex Alcatraz inmate, uh, and the cop that um, Vincent Hanna that uh, Al Pacino plays. Mm-hmm. He was um, named Chuck Adamson, and this happened in the '60s. So these two oh. were like two, like a cop and criminal who were like, yeah, the yin yang of each other. Um, and they also met for coffee once, which I think is probably what inspired the movie. Or just inspired what what made the story so interesting was like these people just seeing that they are you know they need each other, yeah, you know so pretty cool stuff. I think he he would have been cooler if it had taken place in the sixties. Just saying. Yeah, I agree. That would have been really fucking sweet, like kind of like a bullet vibe. Yeah, I think it also takes place in Chicago in real life. All of this stuff, whereas mm. in in the movie they make it L.A. because eh, it's easier to film there. Cheaper, sunnier, warmer. Yeah. Days are longer. Makes sense. And everyone could go home at night. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you're not paying per diem, all that jazz. All that jazz. Um, also, John Voight's character was based on a person named Edward Bunker, who mm. was a career criminal and who served as a consultant on the film. That being the criminal, Edward Bunker, not John Voight. John Voight was, served as an actor on the film. Oh, okay. That's great. Thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. The film was uh, the first time that Pacino and De Niro would be in scenes together in a movie they mm. had been in the godfather part two and probably some other movie but they were never in the same scene right so it was kind of marketed on that that was kind of the, the thing that made people interested and excited about the movie was these two guys who were powerhouse actors kind of mm-hmm. playing off each other for the first time also something that has just kind of been making the rounds on the internet in the last couple of years after a kind of panel that christopher nolan hosted about the movie heat on some anniversary uh, was that Al Pacino during one of these panels was like one of the original scripts for the film. Uh, it suggested that Al Pacino's character, Vincent Hanna, is a cokehead or he does coke to like get through the job. Right. Uh, and that was filmed, but never left into the movie. Oh. And so that's kind of why he acts the way he acts is what Al Pacino says. He's like, he's right. It wasn't me being a ham. It was me playing a cokehead. Well, he it looks like that scene when he's talking about the lady's big ass and other guy's head is right up it. Oh that, yes. That's you you could have just had a scene where he's like in his car, does a line of coke and then he goes into the room or whatever to yeah. interrogate. That would have made way more sense. Yeah. And also like his personal life is falling apart like he's not in a he's not in a good headspace. No. No. So, yeah, that scene is iconic. Um and I think I think we'll play a clip of that also because <laughs> people need people need to hear this i just why'd i get mixed up with that bitch because she got a great ass and you got your head all the way up it and maybe uh, yeah, maybe we'll sprinkle that little clip out throughout the episode we'll see we'll see that'd be great yeah um also it was written as a tv show at one point and uh michael mann tried to get it produced and it did air as a single episode on TV called L.A. Takedown, but they weren't mm. happy with the actors, so they were like, we're not going to make this into a TV show, but like, we'll put it out just as like a, a TV movie or whatever the hell, like an hour-long thing. Wow. Uh, so there is a thing called L.A. Takedown, which is basically an abridged, worse-acted version of Heat. What a dumb idea. Well, I mean, but when you watch the film... It's a there's a lot going on and there's a lot of characters. Yeah, that's true. It's very ensemble-y. Yeah. But like there'll be a character who's in it briefly. Like, I don't know what um Tom Sizemore character was up to most of the time. He was just kind of there. Feels like mm-hmm. he could have been fleshed out a lot more. Feels like the Val Kilmer storyline could have been fleshed out more. It even, felt like a miniseries. Exactly. Even the scene with even the scene with uh Al Pacino going after that long haired, crazy Nazi guy. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Like that whole storyline felt like that. That was always in the background and it wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of detail about it, but. Right. They like it was mentioned two or three times and then at the end at the end uh Robert De Niro was like, "Oh yeah, I got to go to this hotel and kill this guy." Mhm. Mhm. So, I don't know. Just uh, feels like it could have I mean, and it was almost a 3-hour movie. Felt like it was a TV show squeezed into 3 hours. Not unlike that, a certain, you know, cartoon being made into a 2010 adaptation. Maybe that's the first uh similarity between the two. Oh, it is. Know? It is the first similarity. I'll I'll put my stamp on it and say officially oh, that's okay, the first good. similarity between the two films. Excellent. Because they're both they're both things that were like television shows squeezed into a sh- movie running time. Mhm. Mhm. Uh anyway, some more facts about Heat shot in 107 days all mm-hmm. on location. They didn't use any sets. Um it made almost 200 million dollars on a budget of 60 million dollars. Um there was a canceled video game that was to be made about it about 10 years after it came out that didn't really materialize but that would have been an interesting thing if there's a heat video game weird though to do it so long after the film Mm -hmm. because i feel like it wouldn't really be at the forefront of like the zeitgeist and then to just have a video game come out and be like oh yeah that movie that came out 10 years ago sure i'll buy this video game well in our superman 64 episode the one time we talked about video games for the entire episode. Yeah. Remember we talked about there's a RoboCop video game that was supposed to come out in 2003 and it was the last game by that studio. Right. And that would have been, because RoboCop 3 was probably 1990 or something. Yeah. Or RoboCop 2? I don't well, know. It, it was just RoboCops a RoboCop game. Sort of based off of the first movie. Yeah. just Well, maybe just the- Or just the character. The idea of, of a RoboCop. Right. And RoboCop was obsolete at that point. Or just not like- I, I just, I, but that's a bad call too. I feel like you're just backing me up because it just yeah, seems no, like a yeah. bad move. I, I'm, I am backing you up, but I'm also saying there's a lot of evidence of like of game companies being like, oh, you know that movie that was good that I remember? Let's make a game of that thing. Right, right. That's just like, uh, you know, let's just make a Gone with the Wind like RPG game. Right exactly. Now. Just sell it on like for computers. That's not a good move. No. I feel like, but maybe they would do it. I don't know. I mean, I would play it if it was well done. I would play it too. Yeah. It would feel like Red Dead Redemption. Anyways, uh, continue, continue. They they did a GoldenEye game in 2006, basically capitalizing on the success of the video game GoldenEye, which is based on a movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they basically were like, hey, remember how you liked GoldenEye? Well, we remade the video game of the movie which is a strange thing to do. And they put, yeah. because they didn't have the rights to uh, Pierce Brosnan's face. Mm-hmm. You're playing GoldenEye, but you're Daniel Craig now. Weird. Yeah, kind of weird. Yeah. Huh. That was during the weird phase when like, I feel like James Bond was in a real lull. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, some a couple more facts. Michael Mann sent the actors to plan a real bank robbery. Like they went into a bank and scoped it out and they had to like plan it out and figure oh, wow. out how to do a bank robbery just as part of their like acting training. But there was a diner in LA that uh, old cops and old criminals hung out at, I guess. And uh, so he made all the actors go hang out there and just talk to those guys. Mm-hmm. Also, the diner scene in the movie, the um, two actors, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, did not do a rehearsal at all. They just... Really? Yeah, they just kind of rehearsed independently and then just did the scene. And the the takes that they use are all, f- for the most part, from one take. Like, they shot many takes, but that was one take that they pretty much used in its entirety. Mm. Michael Mann says it was take 11. So they they nailed it in 11 takes. Nice. That's sweet. Some people think that there were copycat crimes that happened after this movie was released. In 97, there's a big shootout outside of a bank that was very, eerily similar to the movie heat mm-hmm. and they found a copy of the vhs of heat at this person's house one of the people who was a criminal in this circumstance and lastly uh christopher nolan says the dark knight was influenced by heat in terms of how gotham is represented and that makes a lot of sense when you watch it the, yeah there you could yeah there's a lot of similarity there isn't there yeah it's like a very kind of yeah 90s cop drama kind of 
uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's Batman, and it you know, was made 10, 15 years later. Okay, that's cool. Nice. Yeah, pretty interesting facts about the, the old movie Heat, huh? Fascinating. Arguably more interesting than my movie. Oh, no. I, the the I think, Last Airbender. I think anything M. Night Shyamalan does is um, automatically more interesting and more fascinating than anything else anybody else does. But that's because M. Night Shyamalan as a human being and as a filmmaker is so fascinating because mm-hmm. he has made great films and some of the worst. Oh, yes. Like he, in his, fact, his, this, is, this is our second M. Night film on this podcast. I know, but it's, it's the second bad film. You know, like we're only doing his bad stuff. I was just going to say, we should do a good M. Night sometime. I was going to say that. Yeah, we should do like The Sixth Sense or that's it. (laughs) He's made a good film and then like 15 atrocious, atrocious films. Unbreakable is good, but not as good as The Sixth Sense. And that's true. Signs is good, but not as good as Unbreakable. So Mm. it's like it's just really going downhill. It it went downhill instantly. (laughs) But uh, The Sixth Sense is still good. But he, he, not, you know, there's something remarkable about how much money he's still able to acquire for his productions. Like mm-hmm. the budget on The Last Airbender was $150 million. Yeah. Uh, and, this came out in a weird time where M. Night Shyamalan still had some sort of like clout and they would give him a lot of money because he made this movie and then it bombed, I think. And then yeah. right after that, he made After Earth. Which also which like, was, sucked. Yeah, and that was a huge movie too, budget-wise. Yeah. I remember that coming out. Because it's Will Smith and his son, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, just weird. Just weird. I I don't know. People just keep banking on him, but whatever. He kind of had a return to form in a, in a way in the last couple of years when he made Glass and um, that other movie with James McAvoy. Split. Yeah, Split. Yeah, no, he, he's... He's coming back, but his, it's like he relies too much on like tropes mm-hmm. in a way, you know, like he's such a genre guy that I don't feel like he just doesn't really understand story. Yeah. Um, anywho, enough about that. So uh, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It came out in 2010. It was funded and released by Paramount Pictures. It's a Nickelodeon like film production but it did not receive any nominations or wins from the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards in 2011, hmm. which is hilarious um, because they could have just nominated their own movie and they didn't because they didn't like it. <laughs> um, it's stated by multiple actors that they were very dissatisfied with the film, especially uh, Dev Patel, who thought it sucked. Oh, yeah. Um, so Michael Dante... Uh, DiMartino De, De and Brian Konitsko, who are the co-creators, they're executive producers on the film, and they, they created the show for Nickelodeon. Um, they were executive producers. They came on board early. They originally wanted to be the ones who made the film adaptation. Paramount refused. Eventually, M. Night Shyamalan came into the picture, and they uh, were very supportive and helpful, and basically every idea they pitched was denied. And they eventually had a huge falling out, and they fucking hate the movie. As they should. Um, But they're executive producers on it. Yes. Also, they've stated in 2018 that Netflix was going to make a live-action TV series of the film, or of of the animated TV show. Uh, It's 2021. I don't know what's happening with that. Who knows? Maybe it's in development still, but that's kind of interesting. But that also means, like... Is M. Night working on it? No, no, it's no. M Night has nothing to do with it. It's the two original creators. Uh, so yeah, so there's three, three, three things that really pissed off people about this film. So the first one is Noah Ringer, who plays Ang, terrible actor. He is actually a black belt in karate in real life, and his one of his classmates and his teacher were like, "You should audition for this movie." He did, got the role, went to acting school, played the character, did a pretty bad job. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that really pisses people off is the character of Sokka played by Jackson Rathbone, who 
was in his 30s when he played this character who's like supposed to be 16. Um, he isn't funny. And he's very funny in the TV show. He's not funny in the film. His portrayal has nothing, like there's no resemblance to the uh, uh, TV show and that really pissed off the fans. And the third thing is, and this causes a massive plot hole in the film actually, is in the TV show, the firebenders can just create fire out of nothing and mm-hmm. shoot it. But in the movie, they have to like take fire from pre-existing flame and use that in their right. firebending. And that is a massive Achilles heel to their like power. And that made everyone wonder like, well, they're actually not that powerful. So how were they able to basically take over the entire world yeah. with, with, a, with a weaker bending force than like any of the other three uh, bender countries or whatever? Yeah, that so, was kind of dumb. It, it was ridiculous. Like you needed to and be that's... near that element in order to summon it, which makes you kind of powerless if you are like ice bender or fire bender or metal bender. Well, there are no metal. There's only four elements. Oh, so I what's know, interesting I'm if just you watch the TV. Sh- oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so what's interesting is there's a character though that's a really good earth bender and she figures out how to bend metal. Oh, she's cool. the only one in the world. So technically, earth benders can bend metal. They're just called um, Bender. And they say, well, buy my shiny metal ass. <laughs> In this kid show. Uh, uh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, anywho, so yeah, there's a bunch of <laughs> shit that just really pissed people off about this movie. What? Adult cartoon fans are angry on the internet? <laughs> uh, oh. Yes. Well, no, because the show's like, what, from the early 2000s? So they would have been adults-ish by the time... Uh, the movie came out. Yeah, that's what I mean. Also, yeah. Um, it <laughs> won the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture and it was nominated for nine and won five. M. Night, um, you're doing good with those raspberries at least. <laughs> yeah, he probably has more raspberries than any other filmmaker in history. I wonder if it makes him think about what he's chosen to do. I He's probably delusional or he doesn't give a shit because he's making that money. I did actually read an article about M. Night Shyamalan that kind of came out after Lady in the Water was a gigantic bomb. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a character study on M. Night. And yeah, the thesis of the article was M. Night's a bit delusional. He doesn't really understand why he sucks. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's a genius. That's so sad in a way. Yeah. I mean, but he is a good director. I will say that always. Even like this, if 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 he wasn't writing his own scripts. Yeah, exactly. This movie was poorly 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 written. Yes. But like the direction was fine. He knows how to stage a scene. Yeah. He it's always visually interesting. Even Lady in the Water is like an impeccably directed film. It's just, just an insanely terribly written film. Yeah, I will say um he was given an impossible task. I do not believe this is literally the equivalency of making a Game of Thrones movie. And it's like, it can't be longer than an hour and 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, so I'm going to put eight seasons of television into a movie. And they're like, yeah. However, impossible. They do that all the time with anime. There's, there's uh, movies that exist. Yeah. There's so many movies that exist where it's like, this is a TV show that we have squeezed into a movie. I watched uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, I believe like the movie mm-hmm. because I had no interest in watching like a ni- 1970s TV show that was like, looks so crappy and yeah. like, it was like animated, uh, half acidly. It's like so terrible to watch, but they made a movie where they just kind of condensed all of the plot stuff for the, the anime and it was much more palatable. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, that happens all the time though. I can't think of any other examples, but I know that it's, it's like a, fairly consistent thing that happens a lot of time. Maybe Neon Genesis and Neon Genesis Evangelion, do they do that too? I don't know. I haven't seen those movies. Dra- Dragon Ball Z does it. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z. There you go. So so does Pokemon. There you go. Yeah, they yeah. just take the, the 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 TV show and then they make a movie of all the plot beats that that work and then so you don't need to see the whole Interesting. thing. Interesting. Um another sort of bone to pick that I had was from like a, a p- pictorial standpoint. The, the bending in the TV show looks cool and works great within a 2D space. Mm-hmm. But in live action, it just kind of looks dumb. It does look stupid, yeah. Water bending looks stupid. Fire bending looks super stupid. Earth bending 
looks ridiculous. Like it's it's comical, like kicking kicking rocks and shit. Yeah, just, it looks stupid. The guy, there's a part where uh, where Ong goes to the water bending place. The one guy is like, "Let's spar," and then he does like this silly little dance with his feet and kicks up some <laughs> bubbles and stuff. And it's like, this is yeah. this is so stupid. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was so underwhelming in yeah. a live action show because also the logistics of doing the uh, so Industrial Light and Magic did the special effects and they said the bending rendering was one of the hardest things they've ever done. Okay, because it had to look photorealistic and you know they were matching like live plates with CG, like the water had to look identical. Like they had a really hard time. Yeah, well, they did um, an okay wind, job. Wind was tough. Yeah, yeah, it was fine, but I just don't think it works. No, it really works in that like sort of the anime space visually, but in live action, you're just kind of like, mm, earth bending isn't that cool. Fire bending kind of looks stupid. Well, they, I, I read on the internet somebody complaining about the movie, saying that uh, the TV show the bending is a extension of their body. So yes. it kind of happens in sync with them moving, whereas in the movie, it does. They they dance, and then the the bending happens. Like they do a little dance for like a thirty thirty odd seconds to a minute, and then they then they start bending stuff. And it's like, why does that take so long? Totally, it that was probably literally to kill time and save money, just yeah, in terms it, of the blocking. But it, yeah, in I the TV so. show, it's a part of their body. Yeah, it seems yeah, it, but it just seemed like such an ineffectual way to for this entire like world to decide how to fight each other, like just buy mm-hmm. a friggin' gun or something like at this point, because you're going to have to like dance for 20 seconds. You have to factor in that 20 seconds of dancing in order to get <laughs> yeah. water out of the ground. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's ridiculous. Also, it's like, it's like, it's a story where it's a story where people can like dance and make stuff come out of the ground. Like they can bend fire. So you don't need to try and add some like, level of realism to it it's already unrealistic yeah there doesn't need to be logic to it or I know, science I know. or whatever the hell they were trying he, to do he um yeah like m night Shyamalan really changed sort of the physics of the universe in a way that really didn't help or work um yeah. and it and it made everything much less dramatic it seemed like he fundamentally did not understand the property he was trying to adapt I don't think he did. He probably would have been better off like getting his daughter to sort of spearhead the screenplay mm-hmm. and direct the movie as like whatever she would have been like 10 at the time or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anywho, uh, you want to know something crazy? Zach Efron auditioned and was offered the role of Sokka. Damn. And had to turn it down because of scheduling conflicts. But imagine uh, Zach Efron in this movie. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Yeah, but it would have been weird. You like I this is one of those things where I feel like having super famous people just doesn't work in mm-hmm. a in a sort of a property like this. That's just how I feel about it. Anywho, it was supposed to be three movies. It was one. So it was 150 million dollars and they spent another 120 million on advertising. Mm-hmm. And then it made like just over like they basically broke even and so Paramount was like we cannot do another one of these. And uh, that's why uh, it never happened. That's too bad. Yeah. I feel like they uh, could make a second one and just say, M. Night, get out of here. And then give we're it gonna to somebody else. We're going to hire your daughter. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah, give it to literally anybody else and then advertise it as being like, hey, we made a Last Airbender movie. This time it's good. People mm-hmm. would go and see it. They probably would. Well, I'm I'm curious to see if Netflix actually makes the series because- they would definitely put the money behind it. Also, Last Airbender fans, based on what I've read of them on the internet, seem like a very, very intense bunch. Oh, really? A very committed bunch. So I I would assume anybody who was a fan of that show saw that movie. Definitely. Probably 100% of them did. Yeah. So I feel like they could make a sequel or a another movie, or even just a remake season one again, 10 years later now. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, they could do it. Uh, they could do it again, and it would be a hit. I feel like as long as they advertise it on the idea, it's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd probably go see it. Exactly. I'm not a diehard like the others, but you know, yeah. Uh, that's basically all the info I have on um, the Last Airbender. Uh, yeah, and you did watch the TV show. 
I did, yes. How did you see it? On Netflix. Oh, it's on Netflix, really? Yeah, yeah, the whole series and the movie are both on Netflix. Wow, I did not know that. Okay. And Netflix, like, supposedly owns the rights to it, so they want to make their own version of it, too, so... They're probably pretty invested. And The Last Airbender, or sorry, the TV shows in the, like, it's trending mm-hmm. with all the other, you know, like The Dig. Yeah, yeah. Queen's Gambit, Avatar, The Last Airbender, you know, all that shit. So it's up there. So it's definitely being watched by a lot of people. Um, What is it about the character's inner life that gets explored in the TV show? Because they literally, you find out nothing about any of the characters in, in the movie. Oh, there's so much in the TV show that gets explored. There's like, as the series goes on, there are whole episodes where nothing happens except flashbacks. And then there's character revelations. Mm-hmm. So they, 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 for like a kid's show, there's a lot of patience. Mm, interesting. Um, there's a really cool episode in season three where there's like the band of bad guys and the band of good guys. And they're around fires and respective beaches far away from each other. And they just start talking about like their childhoods and memories they have. And then they, have like sort of self revelations within each of their own stories within that episode. Mm. It's pretty cool. All right. All right. Well, yeah, that didn't happen in the movie at all. No, no, it's no, nothing happened in the movie. Yeah. I was the TV to... show is weirdly good. Yeah. For what it is. It's a kid's show, like packaged as a kid's show, but it's much better than that. Well, M night is, was generally, at least in the sixth sense, uh, pretty good at a, pretty good about kind of exploring the inner life of the character mm-hmm. and like what was kind of going through their mind. And just like even the sixth sense kid, we knew how that kid felt about stuff. And yeah, we, knew, yeah, we, knew, we knew something about that kid. Whereas the three characters from avatar, I was trying to figure out what their character was and what mm-hmm. they brought to the table besides just suggesting, Hey, let's go to this place. Yeah. It's uh, it's weird, man. I don't know. It's a, uh... I, I like enjoyed watching it out of morbid curiosity. Yeah, it's fun to see something you have a familiarity with. And uh, know and know that it's just gonna fall short in every respect. And mm-hmm. it did. And it was like kind of funny to watch. <laughs> and the stakes were so low. So low. Yeah. Also another interesting delineation. So in the TV show it's Ang. In the movie it's Ong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw some people were mad about that. And I'm curious why they did that I, I mean i feel like m night just wasn't really paying attention maybe or he was like this is more like appropriate to the actual way you'd pronounce the name but it's like you the character's white yeah it's confusing it's well, a bit confusing you, i don't think you mentioned that people were mad about the uh whitewashing in the movie oh right yeah 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 um the also i will i'll just say this sort of the the ethnicity situation is all over the place the tv show makes more sense and then in Mm. the movie yeah everyone's white uh but then all the firebenders are indian yeah right yeah so it's just confusing it just doesn't really make sense yeah and then the earthbenders are like sort of it's like asian casting for the earthbenders indian casting for the fire benders, and then just white people for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make sense, especially if you know the TV show. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was funky, man. That whole, I, I, yeah, I forgot to mention that. I should have. Yeah, it was very like whitewashed for sure. Uh, I guess M. Night is suggesting that uh, just race wars are happening all the time. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Anywho, that's, there's a lot to talk about. It's a really bizarre film. It's weird. So much about it is confusing. Well, one thing I want to bring up, not really a similarity per se. The last time we covered an M. Night film, we did uh, we did The Happening and we compared it to Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, this time we are comparing M. Night's adaptation of the last airbender to and for some reason we always compare bad m night Shyamalan movies to uh movies with bad cops in them may i also say this every time we um compare and contrast an m night Shyamalan film 
uh, wind is very crucial to the sort of cinematic reality of that world. Mm, um, yeah, because true. wind, wind was like <laughs> the depiction of wind in the happening was like, oh my god, there's a gust of wind, we're all gonna die, and they're running through the field and they're looking at the weeds to see which way the wind is blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you have airbenders blowing up a storm in uh, the last Airbender. That's true. For some reason, after he made uh, the happening and it was a disaster, uh, he was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the well. May I be so brazen, Mike, as to say M. Night Shyamalan's oeuvre, his specialty is wind exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> I think wind, I, you could probably make an argument. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of rain in uh, Unbreakable as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, so he really likes the elements. He likes breezes. Interesting. Mm, okay. Interesting, Anywho, interesting. Yeah. Element exploitation. Um, so in, uh, do you got any similarities? Not one. I'm okay. just going to let you just wrap. No, just kidding. I have lots. Uh, but, uh, you go first. Well, uh, both films involve heat. Wow. Nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. There's heat in the movie heat, which they, mm-hmm. they say the word, they say the title a lot. Where they're like, we got some heat on us right now. Yeah. Uh, and then in, you know, the last avatar, whatever it's called, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's fire bending and the people feel yeah. literal heat. So, you know, that's a real, it's a real softball to start us off, I guess. That's true. Both, both have, uh, uh, many scenes near large bodies of water as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very ocean centric coastal stories. Yeah. Well, also, heat ends at the airport right oh and, oh yeah 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 and so like there's and when he's trying to escape from uh vince he's he's like kind of waiting for the airplanes to go by mm-hmm. and for like all the lights to turn on and for like the the wind the noise wind so in a way there's some air bending happening there you know i i, I would say air is literally being bent yeah through is, yeah. jet engines <laughs> uh if i may be uh, again, so brazen. Both films feature many um, sort of climactic scenes with a large white flying thing. You have Appa, the mm. flying like buffalo guy with eight legs. Yes. And you have the jet airplanes. It's true, yeah. And and both of them, Appa, historically speaking, uh, has his own airbending. He can like slap his tail and like blow, blow up a big breeze. I did not know More, that. Sim, similar to like a jet engine's exhaust. Mm-hmm. So their airplanes are airbenders, and so is Appa, the giant flying buffalo guy. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I already said both both movies are like TV shows compressed. Yes. Let's say it again. Say it again. I did. Okay, I just did. No, no, one more time. Okay, I will. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and also for both directors, 1999 was one of their best years because The Sixth Sense and The Insider were both Oscar-nominated films. Nice, nice. So I don't know. That's a similarity in a way. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. Um, both films kind of deal with like uh, surrogate, not surrogate families, but like uh, maybe surrogate families. No, you can you say have, it. Like, Go Pacino. for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. Surrogate families because you have Pacino- <laughs> His wife, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman is not his biological daughter, but she is his daughter by virtue of their sort of familial setup, and he really cares for her. Mm-hmm. Not dissimilar to Sokka and Aang and Katara. They create a surrogate family. Um, so <laughs> take that, Mike. Uh, what? <laughs> that was an attack? <laughs> yeah, isn't this a competitive show? Yeah. Just kidding. Um. Also, you said Appa can like create wind. Yes, with his he, tail? he can. He 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 uh, has beaten people up by slapping his tail like a platypus. And you know what I would say about Appa's tail or the region where his tail is located? Where he's got a great ass. <laughs> so both <laughs> a films great have big ass. Yeah. So both films have a character with a great big ass. Nice. And you love That's awesome. You love the TV show, so I'd say your head's all the way up it. Here she got up. Great ass! And you got your head all the way up it! My head is definitely up Oppa's the ass butt. of Oppa's, Oppa's bum. <laughs> if, if So since we're talking about aesthetic, um, 
and Wait, we are slash Buffalo Body. Okay, uh, I see. both <laughs> both films uh, feature a heavy usage and depiction of male ponytails. Mm, yeah. So you have true. like Sokka, just literally any guy has like a ponytail pretty much in the Last Airbender. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you like Val Kilmer's got long hair, puts it up in a pony sometimes. That Nazi guy who has a pretty gnarly receding hairline, but is still growing that shit out. Mm-hmm. Um, also has like a long mullet-esque situation. Um, and John Voight also has long hair. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, So it, there's it, a lot of guys, ponytails, long hair, you know, real Rapunzel stuff. Well, b- <laughs> both films are definitely in the uh, ponytail exploitation genre, I guess, if we're yes. going to go yes. there. Yes. I we well we did go there, Mike. We did we're go there, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, both films feature a early meetup between the two main characters, good and bad. Mm-hmm. So Ong and um, Dev Patel's character, I can't remember his name. Uh, they like meet up earlier in the film and then kind of split ways, and then you don't they don't interact for until the very end of the film again. Oh, Prince Zuko. Yeah, Prince Zuko. So the good guys and bad guys meet up early and then the, you don't they don't get to meet up until the end. Yeah. So that's like structurally I guess very similar films. They they are actually kind of similar and both involve like uh, a gang going on sort of an adventure, like an mm-hmm. outlaw gang going on an adventure and yeah. also pursuit. Being yeah. pursued. They're being pursued so in a way like, like a cat and mouse situation. And they're both like that. Um yeah. but what's interesting is yeah, both films feature yeah, like you, you have Prince Zuko and Aang. They have that sort of scene where they're together and they're not attacking each other. And then you have De Niro and Pacino having that cup of coffee together. Um, but they're pursuing each other. And I would also sort of equate that within the society of the Avatar world, Aang, Sokka, and uh, uh, whatever the other character's name is. Katara. Uh, Katara. Um, they're like outlaws. Mm-hmm. within the grand like the sort of the systemic law implemented by the fire nation they would be considered outlaws similar to how um de niro and his gang are outlaws yeah and the well the line between good guy and bad guy is blurred there very very blurry yes yeah because that's yeah that's what's going on in heat it's like the good guy and bad guy they're they're in some ways the same just as they're different they need each other they do need each other, and they all have terrible personal lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a scene where Prince Zuko was like, I can't date people because I have this. He was banished by his father because he was too soft, and then he had an altercation with his dad, and then he's banished from the Fire Nation, and he's only allowed to return upon the capture of Aang. The exactly, last right. Yeah, because yeah. He, yeah, so he has a sense of destiny, kind of has to give up his personal life because, you know, it's part of the job. Uh, and, and, hell yeah. And that is Vincent Hanna in Heat's like whole, that's his whole thing. Mm-hmm. I can't be a family man because I got to catch this criminal. They both try to get intel on each other without the use of modern technology. Um, Go on. So, so, so hear, hear me out. <laughs> um, you know, I'll start with Heat. So it's a mid 1990s film. You could consider it a period piece now. Mm -hmm. Um, It very much takes place in the year it was made. And uh, the technology they're using is not modern to our eyes. And that is the same. You know, you have like Prince Zuko on a steamship, also steamship, not modern technology. And he's literally just like looking up for a flying buffalo. Yeah. uh, Trying to track these guys down. It's not like he can use GPS or satellite technology. Um, he's just kind of using his schnoz to whiff out where they are and he's looking for clues and he's using word of mouth and uh, Pacino's kind of the same way. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, Both films are about characters who are meticulously trying to track down a rare genius. Ooh. So, you know, like De Niro's character is kind of a rare genius. Mm -hmm. Criminal guy, he's a criminal mastermind. And uh, mm-hmm. similarly, you know, Ong is a rare airbender. Mm-hmm. One would say, you could say he's the last airbender. So people have said that before. Yeah, you could yeah. say he's the last airbender, so. Nice. Both both films have two levels of conflict. There's like 
the sort of the primary conflict between the protagonist antagonist situation, but then there's also conflict within their own side. So like Prince Zuko's banished from the Fire Nation. He's got beef with that commander, Zhao. He's with his uncle. They're kind of fighting each other even though they're on the same side. Mm-hmm. That's true of De Niro and his team and like fighting that guy who's like a lawyer or something or like a business guy. And then the money launderer. Yeah. Yeah. The money launderer. They're, like they have conflict. Pacino kind of has conflict with his family. He has conflict with the police department. So there's like, you know, there's conflict within the same side. And then there's also the sort of primary conflict. And Aang has conflict with being the avatar. You know, just lots of friction. I said yeah. they're both like friction heavy films. And what's yeah. the result of friction? Heat. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. So this kind of ties into the like big white flying thing, but both of the main characters, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna say this sort of arbitrarily to prove my point. Go Pacino's for it. Chino's the main character of Heat, um, even though you could argue De Niro is, and there isn't really a main character. It's kind of a, it's a ensemble piece, but whatever. Pacino flies a lot. In helicopters in this he movie. He does, yeah. And uh, Aang also flies a lot. Very good. Mm-hmm. Both films involve characters who are trying to stamp something out, but they can't. Mm. So mm. in Heat, they're trying to stamp out crime, but you can't stamp out crime, especially in L.A. Mm-hmm. And um, in uh, The Last Airbender, you can't stamp out air. Ain't that the truth? Like, they're going to bend air. I mean, you can kill the last airbender, I guess, so nobody can bend air, but air will always be there. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I'm not totally sure how the genetics work on bending. It, I don't really think, like, you kill all the airbenders, but I feel like people would just eventually be born who can bend air. Yeah. Because it's pretty convoluted. Maybe there's some literature on this, some phantasmagorical uh, uh, sort of companion writing on this. Yes, but, yes. uh yeah, the the whole bending thing is weird because they're like characters whose both parents can't bend, they can bend. Uh and then like others where like both parents bend, the kids can't bend, or like one parent can bend, one kid can bend, but the other one can't. It's very confusing. And in the TV show, there's a character who literally learned how to earth bend from mole rats. Okay. So, you know, I just think it's more like the DNA of the earth is what causes the bending. Yeah, it's confusing. So I feel like it's almost a plot hole if you just killed all the airbenders. People would just eventually be able to bend air. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. there. Yeah, you're, you're breathing it. You're, yeah. you're walking through it. It's like sometimes it's blowing poisonous spores at you that cause you to commit suicide. <laughs> you know, there's just there's scary stuff going on. Uh, both films have like a catastrophic, massive conflict near-ish the end mm-hmm. so you have the huge bank shootout they're like shooting in the streets people are dying Val Kilmer gets shot they like grab a kid at one point and use him as a human shield all that stuff and then you have the the southern water tribe sort of kingdom getting attacked by the fire nation yeah 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 uh, and they're both sort of you know catastrophic okay can I can I say something about the fire nation stuff Absolutely. So a big thing, something that I thought was so stupid about The Last Airbender. (laughs) So Ong is like, I got to go talk to this spirit dragon or whatever. And then he has a vision and he talks to the dragon and he's like, how do I defeat fire? And then the dragon is like, with water. And and it's like, are you really the chosen one if you couldn't (laughs) figure that out? Uh, yeah, I know. It's so fucking but stupid. But it reminded me of Signs, another M. Yes. Night movie, where water saves the day in that movie. But it's also and like, that's, why would you, why would you go to Earth, a planet that is 80% water or more, and interact with all these humans who are also like 80% water, if you're an alien? Like, you can see that there's water, but you're allergic to water, alien? A lot of water-based missteps Wa- in these Water-based yeah, weak plot points. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Really um, just really so stupid cuz the dragon like I wish that the dragon was like like what the hell? It's water you dunce like think about it for like one second. Jeez, Christ. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's oh, that's fucking funny. Yeah, the you know, and the, again, and I, I just I feel like I'm really preaching to, uh, or maybe I'm hitting the same drum. There's a phrase I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, I just keep bringing this up, but the TV show just does it better. Like all of these things happen in the TV show, but they take the time, mm-hmm. and like you go to the spirit world. They also explain the spirit world. They like teach Aang about it in the show, and then in the film, it's just like oh, I got to go in the spirit world and figure out how to defeat the fire nation and yeah he talks to this dragon the dragon has more of a fleshed out situation i also think they just changed the spirit it's not a dragon in the tv show you know also something about that dragon what it's got a great ass and your head's all the way up. great great big ass on that (laughs) dragon (laughs) great ass (laughs) yeah i I, the dragon in this movie is essentially a deus ex machina who just gives him a very 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 obvious answer very rudimentary answer. Yeah. But that's also, literally just being like, what's one plus one? And you're like two. And he's like, exactly. Now fuck off. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's basically what he did. Well, what's interesting, both both shows really, and this is brought up again in the TV show and the two fish, like the moon spirit and shit and uh, Last Airbender, but it's really about the yin and yang, mm-hmm. you know? And De Niro and Pacino are each other's balance. Exactly. And that's true of like the four elements. If there's just one element, Nothing is balanced, but with the four of them, you hit this sweet equilibrium, and I think that's true of like what 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 would De Niro be without law enforcement pursuing him, and what would Pacino be without cr- criminals to follow, especially smart ones. Exactly, they'd uh, you know be, like they'd they, be bored. they serve each other's purpose. Yeah, like yin and yang, you know, perfect balance. Um, the only other comparison I have is characters look into the camera in both films. They do, yeah. Like M Night in the last M Night in the last like ten fifteen years has really made a habit of always having characters look into the camera, not like in a fourth wall breaking fourth wall breaking like are you getting this kind of situation. Although this movie he should have had that moment where some of the characters like (laughs) it would have helped. Are you getting this movie? uh, (laughs) No, they just kind of have things where they look into the camera either when like there something is happening and they're just having a thought or they're are looking at something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens in Heat quite a bit, actually. Really? It's like this shot where it's just the one character looking right into the camera and it's like a big close-up of their face. Right, right at the right. end, when um, he finally shoots Robert De Niro, Al Pacino's mm. character, like it, they do a good close-up on his face. Interesting. I, I didn't even think about that. Oh, also, one more last similarity that I have. Um, uh-huh. Moby features in both films. What? He, the very end of Heat, the last song that they use, they they um, is a Moby song. Really, because Moby was really big back then, or he was getting big, and there's like this, like that piano uh, and string is it thing Moby right at the end? Didn't he do the Bourne films as well? I don't know. I think he did. Anyways, he did. yeah, he was huge. He did a lot of movie soundtracks. He did a for lot a of movie stuff. Yeah, he did like a maybe. I think he did a James Bond thing at one point. Mm. But uh, and then in the last Airbender, Ong is kind of like Moby's a bald guy. <laughs> that's all I got for that. I don't have just some else. bald exploitation. Yeah, bald exploitation for sure. That's, yeah, that's really really funny, Moby. <laughs> uh, shit, that's he's kind of Ong esque. He's a he's a tiny bald man. Tiny talented bald man. Tiny talented bald man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And apparently Moby is a black belt in karate too. And Moby dated Natalie Portman. What? Well, according to his book, he dated her. She said they like hung out once or twice. <laughs> that's that's the funniest he said she said I've ever heard, especially yeah. like amongst celebrities. Well, when his book she's, came she's out, she's like, no. Yeah, when his book came out a year or two ago, people were like, can you believe this crazy stuff he said about Natalie Portman about their relationship? And she was like, yeah, we, we dated like, we went on one date, I think. And we, we didn't even kiss or anything like that. But Moby's right. putting it in his tell-all book. That's really funny. Well, you know... That's how it goes sometimes, you know? That's how it goes. Yeah. Try to make yourself cooler than you actually are. So, yeah, appropriate that we chose these two films kind of at random, as always, and it worked out as always, so. Well, you know, it's interesting we keep just proving ourselves that we can do this, and yet we keep doing it, even though we already know the answer to the hypothesis. Yeah, I know. Will there ever be a film that it doesn't work? I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. But 
but we have to keep trying. Well, I mean, also when you do it, when you do comparisons as loose as that Moby one that I just did, <laughs> then yeah, every movie's the same. If you can sit, justify it with that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. But speaking of Pachiro and De Niro, uh, Pachiro and De Niro, Denisino, Pachiro and Denicho. <laughs> <laughs> so that's speaking their of couple name, speaking of Pachiro and Denicho. Um, yeah, yeah. Which do you prefer? Who's your preferred? Uh, if I'm being master honest, actor. Oh, that's really tough. In my brain, they're just one and the same. Like they're equal, you know. Like I could just kind of take take either or and be happy, mm-hmm. even though their styles are very different. I think um, what's interesting is later in their lives, they've made some of the most questionable acting decisions I've ever oh yeah encountered. You know, like real just dumpster fire films. Yes. And it's funny that they're both doing it, you know? Um, yeah, De Niro's kind of taken to playing uh, aggro grandpas. Yeah, but in just just fucking horrible films. Yeah. Um, and Pacino's just been in some real trash lately, too. Uh, yeah. But, but also, like, life's for living, and they probably have... <laughs> mortgages and divorces to pay for so they you probably know. have mortgages <laughs> i don't know you can buy a house for cash at a certain point yeah i guess those enough. guys probably could yeah but i feel like alimony or whatever yeah. i don't know what their marriage style was but they probably they seem like guys who got married a few times i mean yeah these guys they seem like they are the um they're like these characters in the movie where they're they're at, their personal life is at the expense of their work yeah, yeah. So, um, I I don't. To be honest, I don't like either of them more than the other. Okay. To be honest with you, I'm not even. This is going to come across as crass, but I'm not a huge fan of either of them. That's not crass. But yeah, I just I'm not crazy about either of them. They've hmm. made great films, like that's undeniable. But there are people I enjoy more. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, would you say uh, Nicolas Cage is like a Pacino-esque actor? Because he had like a spell where he was like the toast of Hollywood as being a great actor. Like, he but was Pacino's in... was longer. Yeah, you're, yeah, I guess Nicolas so. Cage was. It was basically like I would say less than ten years. Mm-hmm. But Pacino kind of went from like 1970 to 2004, and he was just like a god. Yeah, and then and then he got kind of crummy. Well, Pacino also, uh, he kind of bought into his own hype a little bit, it seems like. Because mm-hmm. he did Scent of a Woman, and he won an Oscar for that, I think. Yeah, and, and that was like his most outlandish portrayal. Yeah, he's like, yet. ooh-ah! And uh, yeah. everybody was like, good job, Al Pacino. And he's like, oh, maybe I should uh, double down on this. <laughs> and then he made Heat, and then he made The Devil's Advocate. And eventually yeah. we ended up with Jack and Jill, which I... Personally, I'm a Jack and Jill stan, but only for um, Al Pacino's performance when he plays himself as like a weird, perverted hack actor. Yeah. It's it's really good. (laughs) We should do that movie because it's a bad film, so it's worth covering on the cast. Yeah. And also, Al Pacino's performance in this is one of his best. Well, let's do it. Yeah. He plays himself, but it's he's like a gifted comedic actor. Working with some of the worst material, yeah, and yeah, like elevating yeah. <laughs> it beyond what it deserves. Well, uh, let's do it next. Yeah. yeah, is his? Yeah, he. I think a lot of people think he's like a weird, insane guy, but I think he's, he's actually just having just, a good time. He's just having a good time. Yeah, he just seems like even when in Heat, when he's playing this like big, big character, he was just doing a good job acting the yeah. character. Yeah, and I think at a certain point, it's what people want from you. You know, it's like, oh. Can you, you remember that scene you did where you talking about the big ass? Can you just do that? <laughs> but in this scene, you're working in an ice cream shop and you're just, uh, you know, dealing with a difficult customer and he's like, yeah. okay. And then he yeah. does it, you know? I, yeah. I mean, I love, I have an interesting, you know, uh, there's, there's a transformation of Pacino that has always caught my eye because you have like, Pacino from The Godfather, Dog Day Afternoon. Mm-hmm. He's got like a high-pitched register. Yeah. And then you've got like Scent of a Woman Pacino, and it literally sounds like he just decided to change his voice yeah. artificially. Like he was just like, 
I'm going to talk like this now. And then yeah. he just did that forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And that's his shit. But he, his voice is actually the high-pitched 70s Pacino voice. Or maybe he just got old. I don't know. But there's something to be said about how his voice changed over the 30 years that he was really, really solid. Um, does Pacino, when in real life, do you think, like going back to what you said earlier, does he speak like, hey, I'm Al Pacino, like how he did in The Godfather and stuff? Or has I, he, I do you think he just kind of bought into his own hype still and is just like, hey, I'm Al Pacino, can I have uh, a latte? <laughs> I don't know, man. I really wonder because his his uh, like his older face doesn't look like the '70s high pitched voice that he had. You know what I mean? Like he looks he looks like he sounds. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe it's age that did it, and he just like fucked his throat from all the yelling he's done over the years because he's yeah. done a lot of yelling. Like oh yeah, a lot. Like famous famous yelling. Um, he's arguably the most famous yeller in history. Arguably, <laughs> yeah. Who's more famous than him for yelling? Um, yeah. I mean, I can't think of maybe anything Jack right Nicholson. Now, so he must be right. Yeah. You know, like you can't handle the truth, kind of Jack Nicholson. You mean famous for acting, or just famous in any? No, just for just yelling for anything in movies. In any, okay, for yelling in movies. Specifically, I, I thought you yelling meant just in yelling, movies. yelling in general. Oh no 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 no! I don't know what they're uh, like. I was trying to think of a life. more famous yeller. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, old I yeller mean in... is famous for for being yellow shut up (laughs) (laughs) um Uh, (laughs) also what did al pacino say when he went to the donkey farm what she's got a great ass and your head's all the way up it (laughs) uh uh, fuck that's great she got a great ass oh fuck what a dumb thing to say (laughs) also the 90s the late 90s birth uh, two of the great ass lines that Which, being she's got a great ass and your head's all the way up it iconic yeah and then also <laughs> ash to ash what movie is that from reckon for a dream oh right right yeah oh man that movie's so disturbing oh. yeah i watched it like a year ago and it was yeah it was unsettling yeah i i i i, I was like you know when i was like first getting into movies like a uh, uh, tour movies I was like, man, this Darren Aronofsky guy, everyone keeps talking about him. Maybe I'll just watch his most famous movie. So I just popped on like Requiem for a Dream. I was probably in the ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, wowza, it was not what I was expecting. I saw that movie in the ninth grade too. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, uh, it was heavy. It's a good time to watch it, I think. It really makes you reevaluate things. Yeah, it's a good anti-drug PSA if, if there ever was one. It it really is actually yeah yeah they should just show that to kids, all kids. Um, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, the, ni- the late nineties great time for ass content, I guess. Totally is totally. what this episode is kind of what we've learned. Well, every episode is like from Justin to Kane, semicolon, and then something else. And this episode will be from Justin to Kane, ass quotes of the nineteen nineties. Yeah, exactly. Something. Well, that was another good epi, uh, I guess. <gasps> yeah. Uh, listen again next week uh, for another episode of From Justin to Kane where we watch one good movie and one bad movie and talk about how they're the same. Follow us on social media from Justin to Kane with the numeral two. Mm-hmm. And yep. for all of the major websites, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Also go on iTunes, give us a five-star rating just because. Please, yeah. just please do it. Don't even listen to the show. Just give us the five-star yeah. rating. If you got an iTunes account, why would you withhold that power from us, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Why'd I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. Jesus. When I think of asses, woman's ass, Something comes out of me.